Well, we're on Exodus chapter 18, and it's on page 59, as Rob said. Let me pray before we start to read it, and then I'll try and explain it afterwards. Let's pray first. Our Father, we have been thinking and thanking you already for Jesus being our super saviour, and we pray that you will help us now as we study the Bible to see how true that is, and we pray that in his name. Amen. So, we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and uh, I'll keep it going. Jethro, chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he sent her home, along with her two sons. And the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the hand of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat up to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. 
and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. <coughs> Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses. But any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. But let me stop there for a moment while the children go to their different groups. Okay, I think we've uh, lost uh, the junior parade. Uh, that leaves us uh, considerably quieter, I think. But uh, let me start with this question. How important is Jesus, really? Well, the vast majority of the world seems to think that he isn't that important. They get on with life without him and seem to manage perfectly well. People will tell you, won't they, when you go on the street, talk on the streets, we know how to do right from wrong without him. And when you count up the number of people who go to church, well, it just seems that Jesus is not necessary. He's just a, a hobby for a small group of people. But against that, the strong, strong message of the Bible is that you need Jesus. Governments need Jesus if they are going to look after their people well. Law courts need Jesus if they are going to punish wrong and uh, bring out what is good. Companies need Jesus if they are going to do business well and look after their staff as well as their customers. Families need Jesus if they are going to be growing in love and serving each other in the home. And individuals need Jesus if we are going to understand the people that God wants us to be, to live the way we were made. And the deep sadness in our world, the reason it is broken, is that we don't think we need Jesus. But it is so true that we do at every level of life. 
And that is the message that God has been getting across to people right from the start of the Bible, and he does it in a really interesting way. Because the way it works when he tells us that uh, we need Jesus is that he puts in front of us, right from the start of the Bible, certain people, and he says, you need him. And we look at the book of Moses, and that's exactly what God has done with Moses. You need him. Trust him. I have sent him. But, you then begin to see that this man that we need and trust and that God has sent, can't do the job fully. We need someone better. And in the book of Exodus, which is roughly about, no one really knows for sure, but say 1500 years before Jesus was born, well, the man was Moses. And he amazingly rescued his people from being slaves in Egypt and finally led them through the Red Sea. And so the message is, at the end of that, you need Moses. You look at chapter 14 and verse 31, which is where he finishes leading them through the Red Sea. And there are the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power the Lord had used against Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They realized at the end of that they need Moses. And that's what you begin to see in this part of the Bible. We started off looking at chapters 1 to 15 and seeing the way God rescued his people out of Egypt where they'd been slaves. And then we're going to see from chapter 19 to the end, chapter 40, that God brings new life to his people. So they were slaves under Pharaoh, but now they are going to be free serving God instead. And in between chapters 15 and 19, you have this little pointer about Moses. Those chapters tell us, you need Moses. At least that's what they, that was a discovery that was made by the people with Moses at that time. And so you've got essentially those two parts at the top and bottom and most if you like is the big hinge that links the rescue of God from slavery to the freedom of God serving him and the message is you need Moses he is the one who provided uh, water at the end of uh, chapter uh, uh, 15 uh, and then again uh, he provides uh, food uh, all that you can eat in chapter 16 and then in chapter 17 he provides water again and then in chapter 17 it is because he holds up his hands that the enemy the Amalekites are defeated the big message again and again is you need Moses but at the same time, 
you need someone better. Because as we saw last week, if you were here in chapter 17, so that was the Battle of the Amalekites. If you were here last week in chapter 17, you see that, uh, well, Moses couldn't really give them the water because if you look at chapter 17 and verse 4, they need Moses and Moses says, what shall I do? I can't do this. And then in, uh, 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 in uh, the battle at the end of chapter 17, uh, they win when Moses' hands are lifted, but guess what? Moses' hands get tired, and then they start to lose. Others have to help him. And now in our chapter, in chapter 18, you see how uh, Moses... Um, uh, is uh, unable to help the huge number of people that need his help. The weight of leadership is too much for him to carry on his own. There they are waiting from morning till evening and uh, he can't help them. And so God uses Moses to tell us we need someone better. We need Jesus. There are two things about Jesus that we need that we learn in chapter 18. The first thing that we learn is that Jesus is the deliverer. Now Moses has been separated from his wife. He has sent them away uh, in verse 2. And that might have been to keep them safe, or it might have been that actually their marriage broke up. Because if you look at chapter 4, you see that Zipporah didn't like Moses' God all that much, and he created tension between them. And if that's why she's been staying with her dad, but then it makes sense that her dad now sees that actually Moses' God is a great one to rescue his people, and so he's bringing Zipporah back. And in that reunion that Jethro has with Moses' The big message is that God is the deliverer. And that's always been true. Even before God did anything in Egypt, when Moses had to run out of Egypt in the first place, and God didn't use him in Egypt at all, he just escaped with his life, the name he gave to his son, Eliezer, tells you that he knew then, long ago, that God was a deliverer. And in verse 8, the message he gives to Jethro is that God delivered them. In uh, chapter 18. And uh, he told uh, his father, and all the Lord had done for Pharaoh, the Egyptians for Israel, the hardships that had come on them, and how the Lord delivered them. And then in verse 9, you see that that is what Jethro understands now himself. Jethro rejoices, all the good the Lord had done to Israel, in that he delivered him out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he begins to praise God himself in verse 10. So now Jethro is not just listening, he is now involved himself in praising in verse 10, 
Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so he understands that in verse 11, no one else delivers. Uh, other places there are people go and look, uh, the other gods, but they don't deliver. So Sir uh, says, now I know in verse 11 that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Oh, they can promise to deliver, but they can't. And therefore Jethro brings a sacrifice of gratitude, which is what a burnt offering is, to this God in verse 12. And now Jethro, who is an outsider, if you look at verse 1, he's a priest of Midian, he's a complete outsider. Now this man looks at what happened to Moses and says, God is such a deliverer. Here is our God drawing in outsiders. When uh, you got to chapter 5, you might remember Pharaoh, who was an outsider, in his first conversation with Moses, he says, Who is the Lord that I should listen to? Him? Jethro, the outsider, can answer that question. God is the deliverer. I know the answer to that one. And he draws in outsiders. This is a fantastic message for every outsider in the world. Seriously, every other place you go to will never deliver. Although arrogantly, uh, they might offer to uh, uh, help you. Uh, the fact is they can't in verse 11. And Moses himself, Although he understands that God's the deliverer, he himself needs delivering. The name of his son will tell you that. And it is ultimately Jesus who is the deliverer. And we see that again and again and again. Remember chapter 17. The people were grumbling and complaining that they didn't have enough water. And so what happens? Moses takes the stick. Remember he tells you in chapter 17 verse 9, this is the stick that struck the Nile. Okay? This is the stick that, the stick that brings death. It brought blood into the river Nile. Now, okay, we're here. And <coughs> Moses got the stick of God's judgment in his hand. Here are the people who are complaining. What on earth is going to happen next? And you find out that God stands on a rock. And Moses goes and hits the rock instead of the people. That's sacrilege. And yet water comes out of the rock to save the people. God is smashed and his people find life. And you discover in the New Testament that that is Jesus. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it tells us, that um, uh, the rock that uh, followed them uh, was Christ. And they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So Jesus smashed, <coughs> and life comes out to his people. Jesus is the one who delivered them that day. And at the end of chapter 17, 
Uh, you remember how Moses' hands got weary and he couldn't deliver? Well, it's very interesting that at the end of Luke's Gospel, when Jesus goes into heaven, he goes with his hands raised in blessing. That's how he's ascended into heaven. The last sight of Jesus with his hands raised. And although the people of Jesus are still in battle and there are people fighting against them to try and annihilate them, Luke tells us in his second book, in the Acts of the Apostles, that actually the church grew and spread and increased. And the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. The hands were up and the battle kept going forward. And so when people were at the bottom of the hill looking up at Moses in verse in, in chapter 18 they could say the Lord is my banner well when you when Christians are in the battle in this world they could look up to Jesus with his hands raised in blessing the Lord is my banner I will win although I'm in the battle Jesus is the deliverer there too and wonderfully Jethro begins to see that. And Jethro stands for the outsider coming to see this truth. And now being part of God's people, um, you, you might remember how in chapter 9 verse 16 we were told that the whole deal of what was going on in Egypt was so that through Pharaoh God's name will be proclaimed in all the earth. And now in wonderfully in chapter 18 verse 12 you see Jews and Gentiles eating together before God as other nations begin to come in as the priest from Midian is now part of that banquet looking forward to the great banquet from where people from every nation will eat in the presence of God because he is such a deliverer Jesus is the God who delivers. But secondly, Jesus is also the King. Because what you end up here at the end of chapter 19, with all the people coming to hear and learn how to live, well, what you end up is with a new society of people who are learning to live together well. And Moses is like a king in verse 16. He's listening to disputes. And he's the one who's putting wrongs to right and settling arguments. And we need someone who can help us to get on well. Because look, if you think about it, the things that I guess have messed up your life more than anything else and caused sadness in your life more than anything else are the fallouts you've had with people. Maybe people that you've loved, trusted. And yet there have been disputes and disagreements and great sadness has come through. And everyone here knows that Moses can help them. That's why they're waiting from morning till evening in verse 13. They're happy to wait because here is the only one who can help them to live together well. But he can't do it. 
they need someone who can create this new society where people live together well without his knees buckling under the weight. And Jesus is the only one who can rule a society and shape it where people live in right relationships with each other and not in disputes. And he is greater than Moses when it comes to doing verses 19 and 20. If you look at chapter 18 and verse 19, uh, I'll give you advice. He says, you, Moses, will represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. In verse 20, you will represent God to the people, teaching them what God says. Where the only person who can be a go-between between God and man is someone who is God, fully, and someone who is man, fully. And the God-man Jesus is the one who can ultimately bring God and man together. And so Jesus says, Go into the world, the end of Matthew's Gospel. Make disciples, teach all that I have commanded you, not Moses, someone greater. And that's the work of the church to get today in verse 20, to warn people about the statutes and the laws, in other words, to teach people about how to obey Jesus, and to make Jesus-like responses when there are disputes and disagreements in the church. That's how God shows the world what this new society is like. And we do that in different sized groups, learning how to live with each other to show the world what God's new world is like. Now, I know lots of people look at this and they say you deliver, you have this group that's big and this one's slightly smaller, this one's slightly smaller. And people say, well, that's all learning about how to manage people. Break it down to different groups. Well, there might be wisdom there, and that's for another day. But really, this is all about how Jesus helps us to live as an alternate society in our world. And therefore, when people walk in through that door and they see us learning how to live together really well, loving each other, when people walk in through that door, they shouldn't be seeing new Beckentry Church. What they're really coming in to have a look at is a new Dagenham. This is the new society that God is making. And it starts here. It's so important for us to get a hold of this because we are in the middle of a country election fever going on and there's politicians saying if you want to have the new society come and vote for my party or vote for this party. But the politicians aren't going to be bringing people to handle disagreements well. Look, all you've got to do is watch them go at each other. And you see that the politicians have got nothing to give us. But when lives are personally brought into the family of the Lord Jesus, he teaches us how to be a new society together. So this is not about man management. You can tell that because when you look at the able men, remember Jethro says to Moses, find able men. Who are the able men? Not the people who are good at delegating, 
doing the man management stuff. No, the able men are the people who fear God and who can be trusted because there's nothing you can make them do, not even give them a bribe, to make them deal unfairly with people, deal wrongly with people. And so what should we learn today? Well, let me brief, brief uh, as we finish. First, if you're someone and all this is new to you and you're thinking about uh, what following Jesus is really about and whether you should follow Jesus and become Christian and uh, how might you take the next step? I think you could do a lot worse than look at Jethro. Because Jethro is the person who went to Moses, who told him how God delivers his people. And so be like Jethro and understand that only Jesus will deliver you from judgment and God's wrath in the future. Only he will deliver you, nothing else. Be a Jethro. Go and find out how God is such a fantastic deliverer. And one day we'll bring you into a kingdom to eat in his presence with his people as a vision of your future. God can deliver you for that. Go to him. Or if you've been around churches a lot, well, my friends, it's easy, isn't it, to think, if you've been around churches a lot, to think that, actually, God rather does need us. He needs us to give him money, he needs us to go out and tell people, he needs us to do this and that for the other, uh, for him. Uh, my friends, we need Jesus. Never, ever go beyond understanding that you need Jesus to deliver you from his judgment to come. Only he can. And to deliver you to be someone who can live together well with others. Maybe if you're someone who's a, a, a real believer and you want to know, how does this affect me today? The answer is that uh, if we belong to Jesus, we see here what a church should be like. It is for us to joyfully tell other people on our estate about the deliverance of Jesus so that they look to him and one day will eat with us in his kingdom, in his presence. That's what we long as we go out week after week after week to meet people in our estate and to talk to them and to make them our friends. And uh, if uh, they are willing for us to talk about this great God who can deliver them into a new future. But at the same time, when we see how uh, Jesus uh, helps people to live together well as a part of his new society, we need to have a right vision for ourselves. Our church is not there just to be a little church, a little chums club where we get on well together and, well, that's all that matters. No, my friends, we are new Dagenham. 
have that vision. That is what our purpose is. So that anyone can come in and see, this is what Dagnum should really be like. As people live together well. As people handle each other with Jesus' reactions when there are disputes and difficulties. Be the magnificent signpost that God wants us to be of the new society, the new world that he is creating under his king. We're going to uh, have a moment, I think, where we pray uh, together. Let me just ask you, in a moment of quiet, and we give one minute for this, and uh, you talk to God in response to what he has been saying to us through the Bible. But I may stop, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us today how you reveal your deliverance to outsiders and how you turn your people into a new society as we live in our world. Fill our hearts, we pray, with that joy and purpose and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.